0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 14. That's where we are. John chapter 14, a key concept this morning. Jesus is preparing a place for his people. John chapter 14. In this series where we're looking at the events of Thursday night of Holy Week into Friday morning, today Jesus speaks a promise of heaven. While you're finding John chapter 14, I had a phone call from a man from Vancouver, Washington, where we pastored for more than 20 years ago. And uh, as a pastor, you're, you're always a bit concerned when a former church member calls you. You don't want to be caught into any kind of controversy or unhappiness or if there's some sort of uh, uh, something happening that there's a complaining spirit or something. You know, you're always a little bit leery of that, but the, this phone call was none of that. He said this, he said, well, the reason I called you was I wanted you to know that my dad died, but I know that he's in heaven. And the reason I know that he's in heaven is that one Sunday when you ask people to pray along to accept Jesus as Savior, he did just that. And when he came home, he told me about it, and he started walking with Christ that day. He says, I know he's seeing Jesus face to face, and today I'm making the funeral arrangements And it's kind of neat to think about that. I was glad I took that call. That's a good phone call. That man is at home in heaven right now. And if you know Jesus as Savior, heaven is your home as well. Because as we move into chapter 14 of the Gospel of John today, we are moving into a a setting where Jesus makes a series of promises to his disciples. The first one is the promise of heaven. So let's read it uh, John 14:1 through 3 and then we'll skip to verse 6. It says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is promising his disciples and his followers heaven. And what a great promise that is. C.S. Lewis once said, Your place in heaven will seem to be made for you because you were made for it. One day, this struggle of life will be over. One day, this journey is going to be complete, and we will be at home with the Lord. And that place that Jesus is preparing, we call heaven. And the way to get there is through him. Now, notice with me where we are in the flow of the evening. Jesus has seen the, uh, the, uh, the disciples squabbling with one another in terms of who's the most important. Jesus has paused the proceedings of the evening and washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus has announced that there's a betrayer in the room. Judas Iscariot has left uh, the premises by now, and Jesus has confronted Peter with the fact that you will deny me. In fact, Peter, at the end of uh, chapter 13, he says, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And throughout all of this, he has been repeatedly bringing up the fact that he is leaving them. So what do you think the atmosphere of the room was like? I think there was a sense of foreboding in that room, a sense of fear and confusion, a little bit of insult, really, when you when you think about it. And Peter was, you know, in human terms, one of the most outgoing, strongest, most committed follower of Jesus Christ. If, if he's going to deny Jesus, maybe the rest of them feel a little bit insulted. There's apprehension. But then Jesus changes the mood of the room. Like a parent, He soothes them, and He interjects the eternal perspective that they need to have, and it shows us just how He understands us. He says, heaven is real, don't worry, and I have room for you there, and I will get it ready, and then I'm going to come back for you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we have a building from God, an eternal home in heaven, not built by human hands but what is heaven like? What are we to think about heaven? And how does what we think about heaven change the way we live our lives here and now? The fact is, a lot of people are confused about heaven. Time Magazine reports that 43% of the people polled said that they believe we will have literal harps in heaven. 36% said they thought we would get wings in heaven. Just the other day, a woman on the news, she was being interviewed. She was a family member of a of a young woman who was killed in a car crash tragically. And in the interview, she said, well, she's an angel now. None of that is right. None of that is true. See, a lot more people get their theology from TV than from the Bible. Right now, all those believers who died are experiencing heaven, but they're experiencing a glorified what we call intermediate state. After death, but before the coming resurrection, they exist with the Lord in glory. In order to rightly understand what we mean by heaven in Christian vocabulary, you need to keep two things in your mind at the same time when you say the word heaven. Right now, there is the experience of those who are in the presence of God in a spiritual state. This is intermediate This is temporary. It is a spiritual uh, existence where we are removed from this earthly life and in the presence of God. Remember, death in the Scriptures is never cessation. You don't cease to be when you die. Death is always separation. And this physical death for the believer, there is a separation of the spiritual part of you from the physical part of you. And the spiritual part of you will be with the Lord in glory. This is why Jesus calls it paradise when he speaks to the thief on the cross. And this is what Jesus was referring to when he talked to the thief on the cross, this intermediate state of spiritual blessedness. But this experience that I've just described is not eternal. That's why it's called the intermediate state. Someday there will be what we call in Scripture the new heavens and the new earth, and that's the eternal heaven. That time will be when we experience a seamless joining together of everything that God has created, both heaven and earth, made new and made one. This eternal heaven occurs after the resurrection, after the events of the end times, when we are existing in glorified bodies modeled after the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. That is our eternal state where time will be no more and the distinction between heaven and earth will be dismissed. We we read of this in Revelation 21 says this. John is speaking. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So when we say the word heaven in Christian vocabulary, what we're saying is a sort of theological shorthand for both of these experiences. And it's glorious. And it will be ours if you know Christ as Savior. One day we will experience that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to teach uh, students, training them to preach the gospel. And when he and in one in one of the lessons, he says this: When you speak of heaven, let your face light up. When you speak of hell, your everyday face will do. When we think about heaven, our face ought to light up. Our heartbeat ought to quicken. It's all coming, and it's all real. And many that we know are there already. What will be our experience in heaven? Well, first and foremost, the blessing of heaven is the fact that we gain back face-to-face fellowship with the Almighty God that we lost as a race in the Garden of Eden. Paul said, for me to live as Christ... To die is gain. And that's the gain he had in mind. The direct presence of God that we were created for, that we were designed for, but we lost in the fall. In heaven, the blight of sin and the darkness of evil, the failures of the flesh, our imperfect comprehension, our dull understanding that we experience, the temptations that we fight with due to the sin nature in heaven, all of that will be gone. And in in his presence, we will have all that we lost because of sin entering the human experience. That is the gain of heaven. But there's more. We gain sweet fellowship with Christian loved ones and friends who have gone on, on before us. It happens over and over again. I see it on the faces often of people who are turning away and leaving from the graveside service Where we have just buried a loved one. And the question is, will I see them again? And even if we're confident that they're believers in Jesus Christ, the question remains, will they know me? Will I know them? And I want you to understand, we get a clear indication from scripture that in the intermediate state that, that what I consider to be a spiritual experience before the final consummation, in the intermediate state, we are able to recognize people. We see it, for instance, hinted at in the transformation, a transfiguration story. Matthew chapter 17, Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain there, and they are recognizable. We see it in 1 Samuel 28, when the medium at Endor calls up uh, Samuel at Saul's request, and he is recognizable. The indication is clear. We will recognize and be recognized by one another. But we will see each other in a perfected state. I don't know exactly what that is, but I'm looking forward to it. That saint that you only knew as sickly and infirm, they went home to be with the Lord. You will recognize them, but they will be healthy and strong maybe for the first time in your experience, that Christian that you have a hard time getting along with here and now, in glory, you're going to love them. So what does Jesus want you to do now? Practice. Practice. That believer whose opinions are so opposite from your own, you're going to be on the same page when you get to heaven. Perfection. We will recognize each other and those who have gone before. We will also be able to meet and recognize Bible personalities that we read about in Scripture. Wow. I don't know how you are when you meet celebrities. Some of you have probably had encounters with celebrities. Uh, are you the kind of person who runs excitedly towards them and asks for an autograph, just thrilled to be, be in the uh, presence of a celebrity, or do you hang back, you know, no big deal, whatever, or maybe you're overwhelmed at the presence of greatness and can't just can't say think what to say your tongue is tied you're shy kind of immobilized in their presence all kinds of different reactions to celebrities it's interesting for me in the few times that we've gone to disneyland to watch the little children who are going through the park and they have their, some of them have their autograph books and the characters come out, you know, in real life, they kind of come off of the movie screen and out of the book and here they are walking around. Some of them run up to those characters and they want an autograph and a picture and then some of them are immobilized and dumbstruck before the seven-foot Winnie the Pooh right there. It's just too much for them, you know. I don't know how I'm going to react to being able to chat with the Apostle Paul or Moses. I'll probably be like that immobilized kid, at least for a while. But we will meet them. And fourthly, we will be at rest. Scripture talks about the dead in Christ resting from their labor. Hebrews 4.9 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, a Sabbath rest eternal and pure. But this phrase has been misunderstood misunderstood to mean that we're going to sit around in eternal boredom and pluck harps or something. That's not what it means at all, because rest is not the same as idleness. Don't picture idleness, but picture rather a perfect combination of peace and joy, security and love in the midst of pleasant activity There will be activity in heaven, rejuvenating activity. We will be serving the Lord in a way that energizes us and in keeping with who you are. And this is just one more evidence to me that we we are created to serve him. And once again, right now, we are meant to be practicing that, doing what God has created us to do, how he has designed us to serve him and being active for the Lord. That heavenly activity is coming, and it can be basically put in two categories. One of the heavenly activities that we will engage in is perfect praise and worship, the most fulfilling, the most powerful experience of worship that you can ever imagine. We will be engaging in that. And then perfect service for our King in a way that is, is chosen by Him for us, in a way that will be glorifying Him and joyful for us. But we, what we won't have is boredom serene rest, and we serve Him in a perfect way. Now, these are the things that we get hints of and glimpses of in Scripture about heaven. But there's still some things that we wonder about because heaven, to some degree at least, is a bit of a mystery. For instance, in that intermediate state that I spoke about a moment ago, in that paradise where people are who have passed away in in the Lord right now, prior to the great resurrection that's coming in the end times, do those people have some sort of pre-resurrection bodies? Or is their experience totally uh, uh, spiritual, kind of like a disembodied spirit? I know that in the final heaven, in the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, we will have resurrection bodies, and there will be a physicality to us, but but what about now? I'm interested to read in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this about himself, by the way. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up into paradise. Paul's talking about an experience where he felt he was in what we call the intermediate state already. And the fact that he wonders, was I there physically or was I not there physically, that's kind of, it has some significance to it. We simply don't know for sure. But the vast majority of Christian teaching has been along the lines of what I mentioned earlier uh, in this message, and that is it is a, a spiritual experience. The present heaven, the intermediate state, is a spiritual experience that changes at the resurrection. But... We've got to put a little question mark next to that because it could be that there's some sort of physicalness to their experience now. A second question that often comes up, and we don't really have a complete answer for this, is um, do those who are in the intermediate heaven right now, paradise, do they have awareness of what is going on on earth? It's a question. Because there are glimpses that could go either way. As we read the book of of Revelation, for instance, the martyrs in heaven uh, during that time are aware of the events of the earth, and they are rooting for God to step in and do something about it in chapter 4. It appears later on in the book of Revelation that the elders and the angels are aware of the events on the earth, and, and they are rejoicing as they see God gaining victory in chapter 11. I wonder if there's an awareness or not. At the transfiguration of Jesus in Luke 9, Moses and Elijah seem very much aware of the events of Jesus' life. Verse 30, uh, 31 says, they speak to Jesus about his coming departure, meaning the passion events. So they're, they're aware of what Jesus is is experiencing. Causes us to wonder. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 tells us that we run this race of life with a great cloud of witnesses around us, and many people interpret that to mean the saints who have gone before us are watching. However, that's a question mark. Others interpret that to mean it is the witness of their example that we should follow. So, you know, it's we have to kind of keep that an open question. On one hand, it's tempting to think that in the in the present heaven, people must be kept ignorant of earth, because if they saw the earth, they would see sadness, and then it would not be heaven. And we have that thought, and then we quickly quote Revelation 21.4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But as we just saw, that verse is specifically a description of the eternal heaven of the new heavens and new earth. That's a description of the experience after the great white throne judgment, after the transformation of all things. We see, we don't see in Scripture a passage that tells us that there's no awareness on the part of those who are in paradise, the current heaven. uh, There's no, that they're not aware of what's happening on earth. It may be that they are aware. And sometimes it may be that they don't like what they see. If so, It doesn't mean that they are sad. I believe that if that is the case, still they are overwhelmingly happy. Why? Because they feel the happiness of being in the blessed presence of God. Their happiness doesn't come from ignorance. Their happiness comes from perspective because they see everything from the place of being with God and recognizing that He is orchestrating all things And so they rejoice. Have you ever had a day when you woke up in the morning and you felt so good that you thought to yourself, nothing can faze me today? Your problems didn't go away immediately. Everything wasn't solved in your life, but you kind of had that, okay, bring it on kind of attitude. If they're watching, that's what they're feeling forever. Bring it on. God is in charge. And we keep on worshiping. This is why we do not need to fear death. There is a very common expression, a very common phrase that will never apply to the followers of Jesus Christ, and that expression is no hope. I don't care if a doctor says that about you or a surgeon says that about you or a cancer specialist says that about you. That phrase does not apply to you. You always have hope because this life is not all there is. In A.D. 125, a Greek by the name of Aristides wrote a letter to a friend. Archaeologists have uncovered that letter. It's an ancient correspondence in which Aristides is talking about this weird group called Christians. And this is what he writes. If any righteous man among these Christians passes from this world, they rejoice, they offer thanks to God, they accompany his body with songs of thanksgiving as if he be setting out from one place to another. And that is exactly right. That's exactly what's happening. I was watching a television commercial for life insurance, and the announcer was saying that I need to buy a certain kind of policy of life insurance so that my family would be taken care of if the unthinkable happens. Death is not unthinkable. Death is inevitable. We need to think about it. Deep in the recesses of our minds, we all know that this, what we're experiencing, is not forever, and quite frankly, it may not be for long. The longest part of your experience is yet to come. One of my spiritual heroes is D.L. Moody, and in one of his sermons, he said this. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch and sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born in the spirit, 1856. That is born of the flesh will die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever. And in 1899, D.L. Moody died. And true to his faith, on his deathbed, with people gathered around, he cried out, Earth recedes, heaven opens, it is glorious. No fear. In Christ, you need have no fear. So let's remind ourselves of that upper room scene. Jesus is talking about leaving. And in verse 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is exceptionally clear at this point. There is no other way. He is the exclusive way to heaven. Our hearts do not have to be troubled about death because he took the trouble on himself already, the suffering and, and, and dying in our place. And the eternity that he wants for us can be ours as we turn to him in repentance of sin and we call out for forgiveness. Reach out to him in faith and you can be sure of heaven. And if you've done that, heaven... Already is your home. Let's pray together. Lord, we rejoice in this truth. We rejoice in the fact that no hope will never apply to us. We can face every difficulty of life recognizing that this is but for a season. But in this season, you want us to train ourselves in holiness. You want us to be more conformed to your image, growing in your grace, so that we can represent your well. you well and that others may say yes to the single way to heaven, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you help us do that, and you give us that sense of the inevitable promise that is ours. Thank you, Lord, that you are fitting us for heaven, even now. We rejoice in that. In your name we pray. Amen.